Everything in the universe begins somewhere. Hugh Jackman, for example, was once a piece of slime mold. Your iPhone used to be a pager, and before that it was a rock. And before they were sexy and sparkled, vampires wore leather pants and lived in New Orleans. And before that, they were Christopher Lee, then they were Bella Lugosi, moving back, back. Back through the long corridors of eternity. They were a dumb book by Bram Stoker. Back further. They were Dracula. Then Varney the Vampire. Then back. Back. Then they were Lord Ruffin. Then they were just some dirty Serbian peasants getting their heads sawed off in an ice-cold graveyard because everyone in their village had the plague. Our oracle grows hazy here. But we must know knowledge. Were there vampires before the time of pantaloons and doublets? Before jerkins and codpieces? Before the UFOs built the Great Pyramids? On today's Saturday School, we travel back. Back through the corridors of time and space. Back to the dawn of time and meet... The First Vampires. Well, well... Here we are. I want to congratulate you for being on time. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to think about why you're here. Ponder the error of your way. Not talk, will not move. You will not sleep. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. One's half snake and one's part owl. At night they both go on the prowl. They're going to make their dreams come true. They're ancient vampires. One can fly and one just squirms. One sucks blood, the other sucks sperm. They're going to make their dreams come true. Like ancient vampires, there ain't no way they can die. Science says that's impossible. The Torah begs to disagree. They're ancient vampires, one is Israeli and one is Greek. They're so old, they're actually antiques. And they are both super chic. Their way, yes, their way. The stories you'll hear are true when they do it. Their way, yes, their way. They'll suck the blood and sperm right out of you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters, and the Lord said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and that it was good. Welcome to Bible Times, when men wore dresses, shepherds wore bathrobes, and women mostly get stoned to death for being witches. Over the centuries, literal-minded rabbis, priests, and preachers have driven themselves insane trying to fit all the different bits of the Bible together because on the one hand, it's supposed to be the literal word of God, and on the other hand, it's a great big mess. 
They've struggled with the deep mysteries like, how long did it take Adam to name all the animals that were brought before him, and how did he name the fish that they had to be brought before him? Was there a special little water lane for the fish? Because they can't flop around on dry land like the animals. I mean, the Bible doesn't even mention fish when he's naming the animals. Did the fish name themselves? And if so, why'd they choose such weird names like beluga whale and squid? Then comes this very tricky passage in Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. But don't name them. And over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Except fish. So that's on the sixth day. And that sounds pretty good, right? Like, no problem. Easy to-do list. But then you turn the page and you get to the next chapter, which picks up on Monday morning after God takes his break on the seventh day. First, he makes a mist appear and water everything. And then he forms man out of the dust on the ground, blows air up his nose to give him a soul, plants the Garden of Eden, makes it grow all kinds of trees, including the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which are absolutely the worst trees to put in a garden. But then he makes four mighty rivers and he puts man in charge of the garden, gives him a whole first day intake training session about taking care of the garden and not eating from the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil and to eat from the tree of banana and the tree of kumquats instead. But if he does eat from either of the forbidden trees, he's going to die, which doesn't quite have the impact God wants it to have because Adam doesn't know what the concept of death is yet. But sure, bananas are delicious anyways, and they're kind of funny looking. So he'll stick with the bananas. So it's totally not a problem. Then he has Adam name all the creatures, but not the fish. They can come up with their own names. Thank you very much. And then God decides Adam needs a help meet. So God puts him to sleep, yanks out one of his delicious ribs and makes a woman. That is a long Monday. But let's rewind for a second. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That's from chapter 1. Chapter 2. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. He creates humans in chapter one, man and woman, and then he creates man in chapter two and creates woman out of one of his ribs. Now, now wait, if this was a normal book, we'd just chalk it up to poetic license or sloppy writing. But this is supposed to be the literal word of God. And so what? Did he stutter? Is he repeating himself? Also, why does God need to put Adam to sleep to make a woman out of his rib? I mean, it's is it like the world's most baffling surprise party? God, that was a good nap. Surprise! Oh my God, who are you and why do you smell like my rib cage? Rabbis who wrote the Torah and the Midrash spent centuries trying to figure out this contradiction. And their solution? Eve, who was created from Adam's rib, was not Adam's first wife. She was his third. See, when God made Adam's second wife, he wanted Adam to totally understand that the stuff he was doing was not as easy as he was making it look. It was not like baby David Copperfield magic, but like totally difficult David Blaine magic, like the, whoa, is he actually levitating kind of magic? So he created wife number two right in front of Adam, spinning her bones and her muscles and her nerve endings out of the air, weaving them together with her circulatory system, her lymph nodes, her spit sacs, all just right in front of Adam. But instead of a Applauding, Adam freaked out and started screaming and screaming and screaming. So God put him to sleep, destroyed wife number two, and pulled out a rib and made wife number three. So who was wife number one? Meet Lilith. 
According to chapter 1 of Genesis, in the beginning God created Adam and Lilith, both from dust, both as equals. But eventually, Adam wanted to have sex with Lilith because he'd already named all the animals and they didn't have Netflix. And that's when the trouble began, because Adam wanted to be on top. And Lilith says, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're equals, right? And Adam's like, totally. And Lilith says, then it's no big deal if I'm on top. And Adam's like, wait a minute, what do you mean? And Lilith says, well, I'm not in the mood to lie under you because it's demeaning, so I want to be on top. And Adam says, yeah, but I can't be on the bottom because then it's like saying you're on top because you're the boss of me. It sends a very mixed message, metaphorically speaking. And Lilith's like, yeah, but if we're equals, sometimes you're on top, sometimes I'm on top, it's no big deal, so this time I want to be on top. And Adam's like, no, 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 no. I see what you're saying. But no, I'm not going to let a woman sit on top of me like that. So Lilith says, okay, no sex. And Adam's like, you know I'm bigger than you, right? And Lilith's like, right, that's why I don't want you on top of me. And Adam says, I could just make you have sex with me. Lilith, sweetheart, where are you, baby? Adam immediately tattles to God and demands he return his wife. So God sends three angels named Sinoi, Sansinoi, and Semangalof, which are, you know, good thing the fish named themselves come to think of it. Anyways, these three stupidly named angels find Lilith hanging out by the Red Sea, and they tell her to go back to Adam, and she's all, I'm good. And then they tell her she has to go back or they'll kill her. And she tells them that actually God has put her in charge of newborn babies as part of his plan. So killing her, therefore, goes against God's plan. And as angels, they have no choice but to obey God's plan. There are a lot of different stories about how the angels finally argued themselves out of this logic puzzle. But my favorite version has Lilith finally just take pity on them and agree to come back to the Garden of Eden. But by then, God has gotten sick of Adam whining about having no one to scrump, and he made Eve from one of Adam's ribs. And so Lilith's all freaked out. She feels like a third wheel. And so she spies on Adam and Eve and gets jealous because they seem like a total couple. So, after Eve goes to sleep, Lilith seduces Adam and steals his sperm, then runs away and uses his sperm to make, like, a gazillion ugly demon babies just to mess with his head. Cause that's how Lilith rolls, mofos! Lilith is often depicted as having dark hair, and in early accounts, Eve is described as having golden tresses. So really, this is a Betty and Veronica situation with the two of them fighting over Adam Andrews in the Garden of Eden is really just Riverdale, and except for the sperm stealing and a total lack of Jughead, it's essentially an Archie comic book. After Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden, they have to remain apart for 120 years, and every night Lilith comes to Adam in his sleep and gives him a wet dream and harvests his sperm that she uses to impregnate herself to produce more demon babies because he totally hates that. Lilith appears as a demon in the tradition of the Hittites, the Egyptians, the ancient Greeks, Jews, Romans, and she has a totally awesome underwater secret headquarters in the ocean, kind of like a Bond villain. Although unlike a Bond villain, she totally loves to give dudes wet dreams and harvest their sperm to make demon babies. Although, to be fair, we haven't seen the new James Bond film yet, so maybe that is the plot. Anyways, Rabbi Hanina in the first century thinks that Lilith is such a threat to a man that no man can be left alone in a house for five minutes or go to sleep alone for even a single second because Lilith will instantly swoop in and steal his sperm, like, immediately. Lilith is a super busy demoness with taloned feet, which you would think would make sperm stealing really difficult, and she has wings and flies all over the planet every night when she's not stealing sperm and killing babies who are conceived in sin, and by sin I mean they were conceived with the lights on or their mom actually had all her clothes off. Creepily, Lilith often turns invisible and plays with babies before strangling them. As one author writes, 
And this is the secret of the children smiling and laughing at nothing when they are small, because of Lilith who plays with them. So if your baby laughs in its sleep or while all alone, that means Lilith is there and that's your cue to hit them in the nose and say, Go hence, Lilith. You have no portion or inheritance here. You have no satisfaction here. Then you recite the entire Wehi Noam prayer, which goes... You are the most holy king over all this revealed and hidden. Exalted Do that above all three times in a row. Anytime your baby laughs or smiles to itself and you're all clear. It's easy. So Lilith, Adam's first wife, night roaming owl lady with talons and wings, strangling babies and stealing sperms. Now let's go meet her BFF, the obsession of the classical Greeks, that snake with boobs who sucks blood. Meet the Lamia. There's an easy way to tell these two gals apart. Lilith is Jewish and part owl. Lamia is classical Greek and part snake. The reason both women are part beast is because mixing a human with an animal was shorthand in ancient times for saying that these beings were not people, but they weren't animals. They were something in between, like a monster. Uh, it's a very literal-minded way of saying monster, but, um, you know, if we've learned anything today, it's that the ancient world is nothing if not seriously literal-minded. In fact, they... Sorry, uh, during the pandemic, I've been picking up a little extra work as a relationship therapist for mythological beings, and that's probably one of my clients. Um, hold on a sec. Let me just mute this. Hello? Hello? Hello, is Can this... Can you hear me? Hello? Is this Zeus, king of the this gods? This is Zeus, king of the gods. I, I'm calling to talk... Uh, whatever it is, you know, saying something out loud is the first step on the road to a solution. It's not good. I'm sure it's not as bad as you think it is. Well, I met this girl, Lamia, really funny and smart, and my wife got a little jealous. Is she a work friend? I had sex with her. Now, now when infidelity happens, they're often... My wife found out about it. And how did she feel? She murdered all of Lamia's babies. What? That's not... And then she turned Lamia into a monster. That is not healthy. And Lamia started killing everyone else's babies. But why? For revenge. Okay, now see, revenge is a very unhealthy motivator. Uh, my, my wife is 100% revenge-orientated. She even made it so Lamia can't sleep, because if she sleeps, Hera thinks she'll have nice dreams and forget that her children are dead for like five minutes, and she doesn't want that to happen. Okay, see, if Lamia is really your friend, then you need to help her deal with this. Oh, I have. I already did that. I, I gave her removable eyeballs, so whenever she wants some rest, she can pluck them out and put them in a glass, and then she won't see the screaming ghost of her children. That's a terrible idea. I'm sorry, that is a bad, bad idea. Well, you know, it's not easy to come up with these. Oh, crap, it's my wife. Hello? Hello? There's a less mythologized version of that story from around 100 BC. In it, Lamia was the beautiful queen of Libya whose children died at birth, one after the other. Her mind unhinged by loss, she ordered the massacre of all newborn babies so that the sight of them wouldn't remind her of her loss. This monstrous command transformed her face into a picture of bestial monstrosity. Her only escape from the horrors of the world was to drink herself unconscious. And every time she passed out, her people relaxed because for a few hours she couldn't see what they were doing. She couldn't search for any more babies to kill because she had, metaphorically, taken her eyes out and placed them inside a glass of wine. 
The book Dracula is that rare classic novel from the 19th century that features a whole lot of baby eating, and that probably comes from the Lamia. Horace wrote that she swallowed crying children alive, while uh, 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 Aristotle disagreed, saying that she tore open the bellies of pregnant women and sucked out their fetuses like raw oysters. Apollonius of Tyana in 245 said that she seduced young men because their blood was fresh and pure. He also gave her the magical ability to conjure an illusion of a sumptuous mansion to live in to help deceive young men and lure them into marriage by tricking them into thinking that she was a totally normal human woman living in a nice house in a good neighborhood who just happened to eat the occasional baby. What does the Lamia look like? Well, according to John Milton's Paradise Lost, first published in 1667, the gates of hell were guarded by death and his mother Sin, who is half woman, half snake, like the Lamia famously is. She seemed a woman to the waist and fair, but ended foul in many a scaly fold, voluminous and vast, a serpent armed with mortal sting. About her middle round a cry of hellhounds never ceased barking, with wide Serbian mouths, full loud, and rung a hideous peal, yet when they list would creep if aught disturbed their noise into her womb, and kennel there, yet there still barked and howled within unseen. Let's unpack that for a moment. So Sin is Lamia, a half-woman, half-snake, surrounded by a pack of hellhounds who run up into her vagina whenever they're scared. The greatest epic poem in the English language is weird. Fortunately, Milton was the only one who thought that Lamia boarded dogs in her woo-woo. Everyone else agreed that she was half-woman, half-snake. She seduced young men and drank their blood, and after that they had a lot of different ideas about what she looked like, but all the classical chroniclers agreed on two points. She had great breastices, and she was the crying game of Greek monsters. In the classical Greek comedy The Wasp by Aristophanes, a loathsome monster is accused of having the unwashed balls of a Lamia and the ass of a camel. In 1607's History of Four-Footed Beasts, the Lamia has horse hooves, the hindquarters of a serpent, and very great and filthy stones, or what you and I would call balls. She also has the face of a lady and boobs. 100 years later, in 1730s, a description of 300 animals. Lamia has rear legs like a goat, the four legs of a bear. She's scaly, hissing, has a woman's face, and of course boobs that she flashes at dudes, so they stroll over to get some. Then she springs at them scary fast and eats them, and in a surprise twist, she still has her penis. By 1767, she's lost the penis, but gotten a poem. The Lamia, emblem strong of sin, does all her charms employ. To draw the unwary traveler in, and then the wretch destroy. In Keats's Lamia, published in 1820, she's a serpent with a woman's mouth and eyes, which sounds like nightmare fuel to be honest, and later she got wings and became rainbow-colored, but she's always a half-animal, half-woman, seducing young men and drinking their blood. So we had Lilith who stole men's sperm, and Lamia who stole their blood. Or is there even a difference? The Welsh psychoanalyst Ernest Jones was the first psychoanalyst to take horror seriously, and in his landmark 1931 book, On the Nightmare, he wrote, The explanation of these fantasies is surely not hard. A nightly visit from a beautiful or frightful being who first exhausts the sleeper with passionate embraces and then withdraws from him a vital fluid. All this can point only to a natural and most common process, namely to nocturnal emissions accompanied with dreams of a more or less erotic nature. In the unconscious mind, you see, blood is commonly an equivalent for semen. So, if you ever have a nightmare about getting a nosebleed, we all know you're secretly a 
afraid of ejaculating from your nostrils. So the first vampires may have stolen semen, or they may have stolen blood, they may have sucked unborn babies out of the womb, or strangled them in their cradles, they maybe were Libyan queens or half-snake, half-women hermaphrodites with dogs living in their roosters, or maybe they were talon demons squirting out babies made from Adam's stolen semen. They may have been Adam's ex-wife, but one thing was for sure, all of these flying, sucking, semen-stealing, blood-drinking, baby-strangling, fetus-gobbling monsters were women. Because what else would haunt the nightmares of man than that person who was so like him, yet not like him at all? The one who could create human life, but whom he didn't consider fully human. The one other creature on the planet that seemed to be his equal, yet could not be his equal because religious texts told him that man had no equal, and in law and society, she was not his equal. Human, but not. But also, not an animal. Somewhere halfway between man and beast. A monster. It doesn't take a Welsh psychoanalyst to point out why the original vampires, the Thelma and Louise of the ancient world, were just two half-women, half-beasts, strangling babies and sucking blood. My favorite gruesome twosome and BFFs forever, Lilith and the Lamia. 